Let's open the Scriptures this morning to the book of Acts, where we have the account of the day of Pentecost. The text will come from 1 Corinthians 14, but a very helpful background to the mention of tongues and prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 is what Luke records in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. We're going to read as far as verse uh, 18, just a little further than what's mentioned in the bulletin. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. That's as far as we'll go in Acts 2. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll read the whole chapter. And the Holy Spirit then through Paul writes these words, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, 
do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are greater, or since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. 
I may preach to you the Word of God from 1 Corinthians 14, also uh, in the light of Acts 2, and I want to focus in on, or at least use verses 18 and 19 as a kind of a window into this whole chapter. It's a lengthy chapter. We can't deal with all the details, but we're going to focus on tongues and prophecy. So verse 18 I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have before us this Pentecost morning, the lengthiest chapter and perhaps the most challenging chapter in the Bible about two particular gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. We know also from our reading of Acts 2 that when the Lord Jesus poured out His Spirit at Pentecost, then believers on that occasion, they started to speak in tongues and they started to prophesy. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 seems to write about tongues and prophecy like they were a normal part of church life. What has happened to these gifts? Have we forgotten tongues and prophecy? Or worse, have we suppressed them? Should we try to revive speaking in tongues and prophesying? Should these seven young persons seek from God the gift of speaking in tongues? And underneath these questions are a more fundamental question, why? Why did the Lord Jesus give these particular gifts? What is the Spirit's purpose in moving someone to speak in tongues or to prophesy? Well, we hope to begin answering these questions as I bring you this Word of God under this theme, the Holy Spirit builds up Christ's church by His clear Word. He builds up Christ's church by His clear Word. We'll take a look at two things, the Word of that time and the rule of all time. Now, before we zero in on these two particular gifts of the Spirit, it's important just to understand what the purpose is God's purpose is for all the Spirit's gifts in general. Paul wrote about that also in 1 Corinthians, and I wonder if you would turn back just a couple of pages, if you have your Bibles handy, to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul mentions in this chapter a whole variety of the Spirit's gifts. He lists some of them there in verses 8 and 9, the gift of wisdom, the gift of faith, healing, the gift of miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So he's got all these gifts. And then look at what he says in verse 7. To each one, to each Christian, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So that's the gifts of the Spirit. For the common good. So that's the purpose. The, the Spirit of Christ bestows certain gifts on individual believers so that those believers will use them to build up the whole church. 
We heard this actually last Sunday when Pastor Lowers was here and he preached out of Ephesians 4, verse 11. That verse reads, And Christ gave some, uh, gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints, so that's all the believers, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, None of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for private use. They are not intended for private benefit, but each gift is intended to be Christ-focused and specifically to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. And that fact also dovetails with what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to John's Gospel, you can read about what Jesus said in chapter 14 and 16. I'm just going to quote a couple of lines. In chapter 14, Christ promises to send another helper, could translate another counselor, and that other helper will do what, says Jesus? He will bear witness about me. That's chapter 14, 26. The Spirit will be poured out not to start His own independent ministry, nor to draw attention to Himself. No, He will be sent to draw attention to Christ. The Spirit is not sent to give ecstatic experiences to believers for their own sake so that they can feel a certain high. No, the Holy Spirit has come to draw all attention to the Lord Jesus. Jesus says it quite plainly in John 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Here it is, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Spirit's job is to shine the light on Christ. He's going to glorify Christ. So, whatever gifts the Spirit bestows upon Christians are to be used for the same purpose, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by benefiting, blessing, and building up the body of Christ. That's the whole picture. And the Christians, you see, in Corinth, they had lost sight of that purpose. From earlier in the letter, we know that the Corinthian believers were, were fighting amongst themselves. There were internal divisions, chapter 2, chapter 3, talk about that. And some of those internal fights were about these very gifts of the Spirit. They had a kind of a pecking order of the gifts. They elevated certain gifts above other gifts. And there was jealousy and envy amongst them. Everybody wanted the Spirit's gifts, and everybody in Corinth especially wanted the gift of tongues. That to them was the top tier gift. That made you something if you could speak in tongues. So the Corinthians, you see, they were treating these gifts as badges of personal honor and prestige when the Lord Jesus actually meant the gifts for communal benefit, not personal prestige. The Corinthians needed to learn to exercise their spirit-given gifts in the way of love for building up their fellow believers in the church. 
So that's sort of the, the bigger background here, the bigger picture of all these gifts. But if we come to focus in on this, the gift of speaking in tongues, what even is that? What is meant by that in Scripture? There's a lot of confusion in some circles today about speaking in tongues, what it is and what it isn't. Well, what we read in Acts 2, and you might want to turn there for a moment if you have your Bibles handy, what we read in Acts 2 makes it clear that the Spirit's gift of speaking in tongues is simply speaking in a foreign human language. That the speaker has not known before. Some people, of course, we know, uh, learn to speak two or three or more languages, but this is different. This is uh, speaking in a language you've never learned. So look at chapter 2, verse 6. Luke describes it. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, those disciples speaking in tongues, He's speaking in his own language. That's what amazed everybody. They were speaking in foreign tongues. So there were all kinds of foreigners gathered in Jerusalem, and they could hear these Galilean disciples speaking in their own language. They, they were floored by that. That wasn't possible, humanly speaking. And this is the same gift that Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 14. Sometimes people have suggested that Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 14 is writing about a different kind of speaking in tongues, what they call spirit speech or some kind of ecstatic utterance where your human spirit speaks to God and it bypasses your mind. The person speaking such a spirit language cannot understand what he or she is saying, just a string of syllables really. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21, you'll see that Paul is talking exactly about the same thing as Acts 2. In verse 21, he says, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers." Paul, quoting uh, Isaiah 28, speaks of strange tongues, the lips of foreigners. That's just a very clear reference to foreign-speaking persons. It's exactly what happened in Acts 2. Speaking in tongues, brothers and sisters, is very, very simply this. It's the ability to speak in another foreign human language that you yourself did not know. That's the gift, full stop. Now, what the people heard the disciples say in Acts 2, what they heard these Christians speaking in tongues saying, is equally important. And in Acts 2, verse 11, the people exclaim, we hear them, these tongue speakers, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So they understood everything that was being said. The speech they heard to their ear and mind was clear as a bell. It was understandable and just as important was the content. The content was a proclamation of the mighty works of God. Well, what mighty works of God do you suppose those were? 
This is 50 days after Christ rose from the dead, the day of Pentecost, the works that these 120 believers had just witnessed through those 50 days and, and the earlier three years of Jesus' ministry, they had just witnessed the mighty works of God in sending His Son to the earth to take up human nature and having this Son suffer and die on the cross to save His people from their sins and having this Savior rise from the dead and having Him ascend to heaven and now pouring out His Spirit. These are mighty works. That's what they were talking about. They were explaining the mighty works that God had showed to them these last years. As the rest of, as the rest of Acts 2 will show, and you have to read it for yourself maybe at lunch today, in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. You know what he spends his time doing in this whole long sermon? He talks about Jesus. He talks about the, the fruit of the work of Christ the whole sermon was focused on the salvation which God had accomplished in Jesus Christ. That's the mightiest work of all, isn't it? So, what we have to understand is that speaking in tongues is a special form of prophecy. In other words, it's a form of revelation from God to His people. How do we know that? Well, Peter says it later in Acts 2 when he explains to the crowd what's going on when they hear all these tongues because that's what's been baffling them. He says to them, Acts 2, verse 13 or so, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. That's verse 15 since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall do what? They shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Speaking in tongues is prophesying. Peter is saying to the crowd, as it were, you want to know what's going on when you hear fishermen of Galilee who can't speak your native tongue, but you're hearing them nevertheless in your own native language? You want to know what's happening? They're prophesying to you. They're doing what Joel said long ago would be done. They are passing on to you what the Holy Spirit gives them to say, just like all the prophets before them did, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Joel, and all the rest. Prophecy is what it's always been, the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God being communicated to God's people. Sometimes prophecy would involve prediction of the future, but most of the time prophecy involved instruction for the present. And that's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. Spirit-inspired declaration to Israel gathered there in Jerusalem that all God's earlier promises to send the Messiah, they have come true. They've been fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Believe in Him, Peter will go on to say. So it's tongues is prophecy, just like Isaiah and the other prophets of old. Paul actually teaches the same thing in 1 Corinthians 14. 
verse 2. He says there, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Mysteries. That's what they're uttering when they speak in tongues. Well, when you hear that, at first you might think, well, Paul is talking about things we can't comprehend. That's what we think of when we think of mystery, like a puzzle we can't solve. If we can't figure something out, we say, well, that's a mystery to me. But in Scripture, in particularly in Paul's writings, he means something else by this word. Earlier in this very same letter, chapter 4, verse 1, he writes, this is how one should regard us, us apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. They were stewards of the mysteries. You can't be a steward of something you haven't got a clue what it means. The apostles had been given a revelation from God which they were in turn to make known to God's people. And that revelation is what Paul calls in his writings a mystery, or sometimes he uses the plural, mysteries. He'll say it again in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm going to share this mystery with you. What's the mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So a mystery is not something incomprehensible. It's something that has once been hidden in God's secret counsel, but has since now then been made known through God's chosen servants. Paul is revealing a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm making something hidden, known to you. I speak to you God's message. I bring to you God's word. I bring to you a prophecy. So to speak in tongues is the equivalent of prophesying. Same as the prophets of old. But there was one difficulty with tongue speaking. The other tongue being spoken could not be understood by those who didn't speak the language. In Acts 2, there were gathered many from nations, uh, from all, all around the Gentile countries. These were Jews who had come from those countries, and they heard the gospel in their native language. But at the same time, some locals in Jerusalem only perceived Babel. They thought the disciples were drunk. So when they heard this foreign language, they couldn't get it. Those individuals who did not understand couldn't comprehend. It was the same now with the church in Corinth. Those who didn't know the foreign language being spoken by the tongue speaker, they were left in the dark. What's he saying? I don't know. That's the one strike against speaking in tongues all throughout chapter 14. When listeners can't understand what the person is saying, they cannot be edified. There's no strengthening of faith. There's no instruction to receive. That's the distinction between the gift of prophecy and, and the secondary gift of tongue speaking. Prophesying always takes place in the native language of the speaker, but tongues is always in another foreign language. And just imagine if I started speaking to you now in Russian or Italian. I'm going to guess most of you couldn't understand me. I might very well be declaring to you the mighty works of God, but then my speech would not be directed toward the congregation. 
can't understand Russian, I don't think. But my praise would be directed toward God. So you wouldn't be edified. God would be praised, but you wouldn't be edified. That's what Paul's point is. He puts his finger on it in our text, verse 18 of chapter 14. On the one hand, he's thankful for the gift of tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul had this gift, and he would use this gift. Then he goes on, verse 19, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Do you see how, how laser-focused he is on making sure that the Spirit's gifts are being used to build up the church? Paul does not know anything about individualistic use of the gifts. I'm just going to exercise the gift of the Spirit just for me. He's always concerned about how the gift blesses the church. And you know, for the seven of you, my brothers and sisters, you each have a gift of the Spirit, you know, more than one. There's all kinds of gifts. Paul mentions them elsewhere, the gift of encouraging other people the gift of showing mercy and compassion, the gift of helping others understand God's Word, the gift of being a friend to someone who needs it. Are you using those gifts? Are you thinking of how you can use those gifts to benefit this congregation? There's lots of ways the gifts can be unused or used in unhelpful ways, but make sure that you're aiming to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. Paul says here, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Is he saying that speaking in a tongue is somehow not speaking with understanding? Is tongue speaking something that takes place inside a person's spirit without him or her grasping its meaning? No, that's not what he's saying. Nowhere in Scripture is there that kind of separation between spirit and mind. A person's spirit is said to be able to know or perceive thoughts. A person's spirit and mind, they work together in harmony. Paul infers this too in 14 verse 4 when he says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Well, how can he build up himself if he cannot comprehend what he's saying. And if he could be edified without understanding what he was saying, why couldn't his hearers be edified if by not understanding what he was saying? Now, when you take the whole context of the chapter, it's clear that building up believers only can happen when God's Word is clearly put before them so that they can grasp it with their minds and follow up putting it into practice. So, when you stand back and take kind of a bird's eye view, then you see that the Holy Spirit gave on the day of Pentecost the spirit of tongues and prophecy. He gave them as gifts of revelation. These are gifts which produce or pass on the inspired Word of God. And if we ask, well, why? Why those gifts at that moment? Then the answer is it was needed. Those gifts were needed exactly then, weren't they? 
the new covenant in the blood of Christ had just begun at his death only weeks earlier. This was the launch of a new era in world history. The last era, what Scripture calls the last days, had now launched. This is the last span of time until the end of the world. How were God's people to understand what God did in sending His Son? How was the church to grasp the significance of all these events and know how to move forward and how to function as church in these last days? For that, the church needed instruction. For that, the church needed revelation from God, very much like in the days of Moses, right? When Israel was brought up out of Egypt, at that time, the Lord through Moses gives a whole chunk of revelation. We have it in the books of Moses so that the people could know how to live with their God in that new situation. Well, in the same way, the church needed the teaching of Christ's apostles, of Christ's prophets, and also the teaching of those whom the Spirit equipped to prophesy in foreign tongues. All of that was needed, just as the Spirit had inspired the prophets of the Old Covenant to speak God's Word, so He inspired the apostles, the prophets, and the tongue speakers to speak God's Word in their day. By the design of God, that was the form God's Word took in that particular time. A form which eventually gave way to the rule of all time. Paul's driving concern in chapter 14 is that God's Word has to be clearly understood by God's people in order for it to be edifying, upbuilding. That's why he insists on yet another gift being involved alongside of the speaking in tongues, namely the gift of interpretation. Verse 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Later in verse 28, Paul says, But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them that's the tongue speakers, keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. If nobody's around that can accurately interpret, then keep the tongues quiet. And I think we can understand the difficulty or the special challenge with interpretation. Some of us know another language, or at least to a degree we know another language. We took a smattering of French in high school. Some of us may have learned Spanish or some other language. And if someone speaks to us in that, what for us is a second language, we may understand the basics of what is being said, but not be able to translate or interpret that to someone else who only speaks English. Accurately interpreting from one language to another language requires a special ability. That's why we have a whole team of scholars helping us translate from the Greek to the English and the Hebrew to the English in our Bibles. And particularly since speaking in tongues is a revelation from God, a prophecy, that interpretation of the native language of the congregation or into that native language would have to be equally inspired by the Holy Spirit in order for it to remain God's revelation. You had to have the gift of interpretation, something that the tongue speaker did not necessarily possess. Well, by now, I hope it's becoming clear, brothers and sisters, that this thing called speaking in tongues 
that goes on in some Christian circles today is not the kind of speaking in tongues described or mentioned in the Bible. For those folks, speaking in tongues is a kind of ecstatic soul speech. It bypasses the mind so that the speaker doesn't understand what's being said. Such tongue speakers are not speaking foreign languages. There is no one around who can interpret those syllables and so understand. Basically, the words that are being said are nonsensical. It's a string of gibberish. And simply put, brothers and sisters, that kind of tongue speaking is not biblical. It's not a gift of the Spirit, and it does not build up the church. And that kind of tongue speaking also is not prophecy, is it? Like the true tongue speaking is. For the Holy Spirit has given us His Word now in Scripture. That is now where we find the completed Word of God. That's the difference between Acts 2 and the days of 1 Corinthians 14 and today. God's inspired revelation, which was, which was necessary to, to give fresh and to give additionally in the days of the apostles, has since been completed. It since has been written down in the books of Scripture. And so the tongues have ceased and the prophecies have ceased. There is no such thing as ongoing revelation inside the church today. The church has been given by God the full word in black and white for the rest of time until the Lord Jesus comes back so there's no more need for prophets. We don't have to have any more apostles or tongue speakers. The Bible then, brothers and sisters, is the rule for all time. For God's people to believe and to follow. The Bible itself is clear, understandable, and intelligible revelation from the Holy Spirit brought about through the inspiration of men from across the centuries until the message that God had intended for His church was completed and He had it written down in these 66 books. As the Lord Jesus says in the very last chapter of the the last book of the Bible, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Tongues and prophecy have become Scripture. That's why they're not around anymore. God's Word is clear, and it must be clearly taught. I'm a, I would rather speak five words that are intelligible, says Paul, to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue they can't understand. Where you find the clear, faithful, understandable Word of God explained for the benefit of the church there you find the Holy Spirit at work. For that has always been His aim, to build up the church of Christ. Listen to the words that the Spirit inspired Paul to write near the end of his life. He's writing to, his, to Timothy, his, his beloved son in the faith. 
He's giving lasting rules to Timothy and then for the church beyond. And, no, and notice that he no longer speaks about prophecy or tongues here. One, two, 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Preach the Word. If that's the charge to the preachers, then the parallel charge comes to the congregation. Listen to the Word. Devote yourselves to the Word, just like the early believers did in Acts 2. My young brothers and sisters, take this to heart, to be students of the Word all your life. The same Spirit of Christ who filled the church on the day of Pentecost is still here. He's still active. He's with us. He's with you individually as well. And He takes this, His understandable Word, and through your understanding of that Word, He builds you up in faith, and then He builds up His church in faith. So as you read, as we all read and ponder the Word, as we listen to the preaching of the Gospel, the Holy Spirit applies His Word to your heart and mind, uh, and mine, to your soul, to our minds as well, all together to instruct you and me, to encourage us, to admonish us, to comfort us, to exhort us, to walk with Him, to fellowship with Him, to love Him. That's how He builds up each of us personally, and that's how He builds up the church collectively. Amen.